Thursday version. Randolph Terrence. I'm Andy Klein. No Romaine today. We are just doing a little quick thing before we uh, drop this interview on you Yeah. that I did, which is about an hour. You know in that uh, that intro where he says, explaining the illusion of police retraining. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what this one's about. This one is a lot about that. <laughs> We've this done all the other stuff, the weight training, right. maintaining other rhyming words. Right, right. Police retraining, we haven't, uh, I mean, we talked about it a little bit. Yeah, we have talked about it a little bit. This one is about uh, Michael A. Wood Jr. Michael A. Wood Jr., you want to follow him on Twitter. Michael A. Wood Jr. is a former police officer for the Baltimore PD. I became aware of him after uh, the Baltimore riots. He had already, at that point, uh, left the PD, and he had been very critical of the Baltimore PD as well as policing in general. Right. He's written a book on How that, long was he a cop there? Uh 13 years. Okay. 15, 15, 13 14. Yeah, at 28 he was a sergeant. He he rose pretty quick. He wrote books. He wrote books on um training methods, methodology for the police. Okay. And things things of that nature. He's a very educated man. He's working on his PhD right now. And uh, we had a good little talk about policing, and uh, it's pretty fucking bleak. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty fucking bleak. <laughs> just Baltimore, or is it, is it bigger picture? Bigger picture, just policing okay. in general. Okay. Just policing in general, because all policing follows the same exact patterns. Right, right. <laughs> so, Militarization, all that stuff. Right, so there's no way around it. All yeah. policing. And he comes from the military, joined the Marines right out of, right out of high school. Classic. And then... Uh, after the Marines went into policing, right from the Marines into policing. Yeah, that's a pipeline. Yeah. That's definitely, especially around p- places where, like, like Marine bases. Right. They get right. out of the Marines, they stay local and just become cops there. Right, that which actually gave him more of a level, a level of professionalism than other police, hence him getting promoted up right. to the ranks quick. Right, right. <laughs> you know. So he's a good dude. He wants you all to, after you listen to the interview, to, if you want to ask him questions, ask him questions, post them to us, uh, and I will talk to him again. And, and we'll, we'll talk, tag him too. We'll talk about the questions, we'll right? Tag his Twitter feed. This is based. This is a woke files episode right. with a three G O intro, right? Uh, but this is an episode of the woke files that we're doing for free. 
for all the listeners. But yeah, he has. I mean, I guess he's pretty active on Twitter too. Very active. Yeah, so he has a a a pretty active Twitter feed, mm. um, and you can hit him up there. And I'm sure he has other ways to access him, or just hit us up with questions, and we'll maybe do a part two. Very active. Or you'll he's do an a part intense two. dude. It's good dude. Very very good conversation. Intense. <laughs> Classic Marine cop yeah. energy. Yeah. Yeah. That energy. And Baltimore. There's Baltimore intensity. Yeah. Yeah. He's an, intense, he's an intense dude. There's an edge to Baltimore people. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. He's not is he from Baltimore originally? Or? Yeah. He grew okay. up in the suburbs. Yeah. Baltimore people have a bit of an edge to them. Yeah. They have a bit of an intensity to them in general. I guess you have to. You have to develop that when you live there. Yeah. You yeah. grew up he's there. He's got it. Yeah. You got it. Uh also Talked briefly about his stint he did at Standing Rock, um, which was uh, action that actually worked, political action that worked, where they went and they protested and actually worked uh, yeah. briefly. Yeah, <laughs> you know, before, so far. Before a new party came in, but it seemed to work. Yeah. Um, do we have an email? We got one from Tanya. Yeah, go um, ahead. This is, this is not something we're gonna probably gonna get to talk about much today, or at all, really. But Tanya sent us an email last week. Uh, hold on. The email is called Tipsy Music Email. Mm -hmm. Hi, gentlemen and ladies, if present. Jars rule. Well, not today. Not today. Uh, Just a quick note on the music front. Can't believe I've lived 47 years now, and I didn't realize until this year that Dobie Gray of the song Drift Away is black, and Bobby Caldwell, the song What You Won't Do for Love, is is white. (laughs) I love both songs, and listening to the vocals back-to-back is pretty obvious. I think the backing music and instruments threw me off. Here are a couple links if you want to play a snippet. She sent us links to the songs. Anyway, I love the show, and anyone that has the means should hop on the 3GO Patreon ASAP. All the best, Tanya. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jay. <laughs> got off the Patreon. We've got a couple new patrons since Jay jumped thank ship. Thank you. So, <laughs> yeah. so thank you to the couple of new patrons. Um, and maybe they'll get the app worked out. Maybe it's Patreon's fault. If you guys it might start, be. We ain't got nothing to do with that. Yeah, start tweeting at Patreon and say, fix your app, man. I can't get my 3GO fix. This is just for Jay uh, and anyone else who doesn't like the app. But, you know, we're there. We're there every Monday. So, And that's Tanya. Um, if you if you email us, we will read it on Thursday. So you don't have to worry about emailing us and only the patrons hearing it. Three guys on at Gmail. Uh, yeah, Dobie um, Gray is black. I don't think I know that song. Drift I don't know away. the song, but he probably sounds white. Yeah. And it and, and Bobby Caldwell definitely sounds black. Yeah, I think he's well known for <laughs> yeah. for people realizing years later, like what? What? Yeah. Wait, what no? Yeah. Bobby Caldwell. Even Bobby Caldwell sounds like it could be a black name. Yeah. Bobby you know? Caldwell. Bobby Caldwell. <laughs> it's not Robert Caldwell. No, Bobby Caldwell. <laughs> what you won't do? Do for love, and then Tupac sampled it. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. It's like, well, he's clearly black, right? Yeah, right. Tupac doesn't sample white people. Wait, no. Bruce Hornsby. Shit. Right. Shit. Damn. Wait, Bruce Hornsby's white? Yeah. Yeah, it's another black-sounding name. <laughs> I thought he was black. <laughs> Bruce Hornsby. I thought Bruce, I could have sworn he was black. <laughs> another black-sounding name. Tupac only sampled white people who sounded who, black. Whose name sound black. Yeah. <laughs> That's all he ever did. All right, so listen, people. Uh, here we go. Uh, hope you enjoy this. We'll be back to our regular Thursday 3GO next week. Mm-hmm. But this is a special Woke Files. You get something for, nice from us. For the freeloaders. Yeah, fucking freeloaders. Freeloaders. And I think you'll like it. Also, those of you who listen on the Patreon, you've probably already heard the Leanne Lord Patreon, so get at yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't, go ahead and get at that. And be sure to uh, hit Leanne 
on uh on her social media and let her know what you thought of it. I'm sure you liked it. Yeah, I got to text Leanne. I'm sure. Yes, you do. Yeah, I'm, I'm way she, overdue on this reply. She's asking me. I'm way overdue. <laughs> All right. So listen, people, thanks so much for coming in as always. And enjoy. Hello. Hello, I'm here. Hello, it's Michael Wood. That is me. That is me. Hey, sir. It's a pleasure to talk to you. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Where's your partners? I thought we had three people on this show. No, this is this is a... I do this on a one-on-one. We call it the... <laughs> a friend of mine dubbed it the Woke Files. <laughs> it's like, we're going to call this the Woke Files. Where I will interview oh, somebody... God, don't one-on-one. call it the Woke Files. I know. It's, it got, it got <laughs> hit on me. I didn't, I didn't seek that out. <laughs> I didn't seek that out. It got put on me. It, it started off as a joke, and now it's just a... It's another uh, avenue that we offer on our page for uh, people who pay for our content. I like to give them something extra. So I will interview, interview different people. I've interviewed Professor... Professors of African American Studies, different actors, uh, comedians, people that I think of, people that I think our our listeners would be really interested in, in hearing from. Also, you're right up the alley of things I talk about. I talk about police injustice quite a bit, as well as civil rights reform. We talk about that a lot on the podcast anyway. So you're you're literally right up the alley for a woke file. <laughs> Like I said, it got handed handed to me. I didn't seek this out. (laughs) I didn't seek this out. All right. Well, I'm not woke. I want to make that that forward. (laughs) We're just going along with that as it is. And so we can start off with exploring whatever topic you want to topic. Maybe, you know, so I won't talk shit about about (laughs) Maybe just about you. He wasn't here to defend himself. I didn't know. Like, I don't want to talk about anybody's not here to defend himself. Yeah, that's true. For that. That's true. We're going, we're going to the next step. Mainly just about you. What is your your origin is originally you originally from you are you originally from Baltimore? Well, from the suburbs. Um if you're not familiar for people that aren't familiar with Baltimore, which probably aren't listening to the podcast too often, Baltimore is an incorporated area, so you don't have an actual metropolitan. So I grew up in what would generally be the metropolitan, uh the suburbs. So I was like uh, Middle River, um Essex area when I was younger and then moved up to like Edgewood, Edgewood area in Harford County when I went to high school. And then you went right out of high school, right into the military? Right into the Marine Corps, right, when I was 17, so graduated. I lived in Edgewood, uh, Joppa Town area, went to school in Bel Air, graduated at 17 and went straight into the Marine Corps. Had you known you Um, wanted to go, had you know you wanted to go into the Marines or was just one of these things like, I guess I'll do this and not uh, go to college? I never really thought about it too much, really. I went in with two other buddies, and um, one of them, I think, just came up with the idea, and it was like, well, I'm not ready for college, um, and I don't have anything else to do. So uh, we, two of us had intended on being police, and you can't be police to your 21. So uh, with a really bad analogy or a really bad way of saying it, um, yeah, I had time to kill. Yeah, so you you basically did the you, what did you do, the four-year stretch? And then come out. Yeah, it's in my four-year term, so I was twenty-one, right? Okay, so you uh, did you go into the Marine Corps as an MP? No, um, or just so, like, you know, I don't. A lot of people when they go to the the recruiter, they have this like real horror story of like, yeah. <laughs> of, yeah. like I swear I signed up to be in a satellite technician, but next thing I knew, I was a cook. <laughs> uh, like, and there, none of that happened with me. Uh, I went in, I saw a magazine that had the fast team on there. It's an anti-terrorism unit, and they were doing these shipboard tactics, like raiding a ship. And I was like, I want to do that. And the recruiter said, okay, you have to make it through A, B, C, and D. 
I said, all right, let's do it. And that's that's what I did. I got exactly what I wanted ended up in the unit that I wanted to as end a, up in. As a 17-year-old, you were doing that? Mm-hmm. Wow. So, uh, that it was, it was, uh, like, I, I mean, I did exactly what I wanted to do and got exactly what I wanted out of it. Right. So I really had no complaints about the, the military. You didn't think about, uh, going and staying into being a lifer and doing 20? Uh, uh, maybe there was kind of a little bit of an option there when, uh, I wanted, I was going to consider reenlisting to be a helicopter pilot okay. and it was too wait, long of a waiting list and I wasn't going to wait two years to do it. Okay, I can see that. So then you came out, went back home to Baltimore, and uh, joined the PD. Right, and you, uh, I, I signed up for Hartford County, Baltimore County, and Baltimore City. And to tell you about processing times, I was almost graduated at the academy before anyone else even called me back. <laughs> <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess we're not up against it, huh? Were you going to? Did you, did, you, I mean, that's, did you go to college at the same that's time? That's how bad all Baltimore is. Yeah. No, yeah. So I did college. I, I did my bachelor's while I was in the police department. Okay. I really wanted to focus on being a professional cop. So when I went into policing, I always went into policing for the adrenaline thrill. Like nobody should should. I'm not going to disguise that at all. I went in there to fight people and do car chases and shit. They wasn't perfectly benevolent. Uh, so so when I went in there to to. I don't know, go and have fun and be crazy. I thought that you can do those things, but you got to be super professional mm -hmm. and stick to the rules, uh, be race blind, and then you can execute the law. If you do it with impartiality, then of course you will be fair. And over time, I realized that even fairness is, is a ridiculous concept that doesn't bring about anything remotely near equality and even equal isn't any kind of balancing effect. Equal is locking in the status quo. Like that, That's ridiculous. So uh, it takes time before you can think about that. But trying to be professional, I did my bachelor's degree while I was in and uh, kind of started to see that criminal justice is is not an actual science. It is an ideology that has no data and they're really just making a bunch of shit up and don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you pretty much did this through your whole 20s as a, as a young man. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so, so I was a supervisor. Point being that you were a young man yeah. out on the streets. Is that, is okay, that, is so that one of the jokes that we have? Now listen, here's a, here's a good funny joke. So what's well, not a funny joke. It's just a funny bit of reality. I was 29 years old when uh, if you watch anybody that watches The Wire, you kind of see the environment of Gilmore Homes, East and West Baltimore yeah. and stuff like that. That whole jurisdiction of these high crime areas, which you know, I don't think is their fault, but anyway, these high crime areas that, that have this war to them. At 29 years old with a bachelor's degree, I was in charge of the entire Eastern District uh, or, or shifts. You know, I was the highest ranking officer on the street. So if you wanted to talk to the boss, I was it. And that is insanity. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, like I was a child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was just thinking. So you would figure if you at 29 were in charge, I mean, you had people underneath you who were 24, 25, 26. Well, no, I was generally the youngest. Yeah, okay. Um, oh, thank so God. Like, <laughs> when I was a sergeant, <laughs> when I was a sergeant, I was the youngest member in the squad. At, and you're a sergeant. You're the youngest guy in the squad. And you're the sergeant. Right. And you probably have more. Well, yeah, I mean, the standards are very high. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's not that hard yeah. to climb those ranks. <laughs> well, you probably have more experience coming from the military, coming from your military background as well as your well, schooling. Well, yes. Yeah. So you're going to be disciplined a little bit more and focusing on stuff. And and it's not just necessarily military. It's, it's, it's having that desire to go up and do those things. Because once you take on supervisory positions, the job really should be changing. It doesn't. A lot of supervisors try to stay cops. But once you get promoted into leadership, you need to take on a managerial role, and, and it needs to be a different thing. So, like, good cops are promoted to management roles, but ma- but but being a good cop has nothing to do with being a good manager. Yeah, and that's interesting because so, you're, you're a, you wrote a book on police management. Did you write that while you were in, or after you had gotten out? I did that while I was in, and that was my that was one of my ultimate quests to make us perfect and professional. Is that um, one thing I noticed is uh, there's there's a good old boy network, mm-hmm. and so the way they manipulate promotional systems to favor white officers, or, or you know, it tends to be white officers. There's there's black officers that are willingly executing white supremacy and kiss up to their bosses and love to be that token uh, mm-hmm. Uncle Ruckus on the field. Right. But <laughs> so those those people also partake in it, but they get into this like good old boy network where they they manipulate the testing process. So what I wanted to do is level the playing field for the testing process by making it so that every single cop was able in Baltimore and in Maryland was able to have something that they could carry around with them that had like all the concise answers of everything they needed to do to be perfect, how to handle any situation that could possibly arise as a shift commander. So as being in charge of the entire district. And uh, that, I mean, that's great. That's perfect. And it is a very good book. And it does demonstrate exactly it's 518 pages <laughs> of yeah. craziness about how to perfectly do something. But I don't talk about that because what that is, is that's like our ultimate training idea. When people say we want our officers to be better trained, that's not actually what you're saying. What you're saying is, is we want our officers to be able to execute fascism in a way that we don't have to see it. Okay. And that's what perfect policing is. And so that guide is how to perfectly get somebody like Freddie Gray to be a Khalif Browder instead of a Freddie Gray. And that's not accomplishing anything. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel, um, I don't know, complicit, complicit in the, in the, um, the machinations of the police department by writing that, by writing that uh, book, writing the guidelines to do that? I mean, uh, I disrupted power, and that made me a big enemy the moment right. I did that. Uh, right. The first the first group of sergeants that got promoted, there was 50 of them, and 25 of them were people that I taught. Uh-huh. Uh, that ended up, that started my blackballing in the police department, because that really? was too much power for somebody so young to be holding. Right. Uh, so, I mean, I, I didn't, like, that book was never a good thing for me when it comes to policing, because I essentially told every police commander that's ever run something in this country that they didn't know what they were talking about and here's how to do it and I, and I was right. So, yeah, here's a, here's a better here's a better way. Do you feel like you were, the number one way? Do you feel like 49 you teaching, laws of power, you never disrupt the boss. Yeah, do you feel like you were teaching trying to teach them a more egalitarian type way, a more fair way to execute policing as opposed to the system of policing that we have now? You were actually trying to upend and turn the system around uh, through through that and they were like no we're not doing this <laughs> you know did, was it kind of no I mean so so no like this is what so there's a big I mean my PhD dissertation work is is on this very topic right. and the fact that 
their the training guidelines or I, I took the best of all the training okay. and put it together. This, this is what everyone should be doing by right, our standard right. rules. And what most of, the, most of them are training officers to do. There's a huge disconnect in what officers are being trained to do versus what they actually do because oh, okay. people do what they're incentivized to do through incentivized mechanisms within their job. Like cops are just employees. We get caught up thinking that because they have a gun and they have this critically important job or task or whatever, however we want to phrase that, that somehow they have some special skill or some special, like they're, they're different than any other human being. And so they're just incentivized by what the system tells them to do. So I locked up 400 and some black men and participated in it because that's what the system incentivized me to do if I wanted to get promoted, if I wanted to go to the other ranks, if I wanted to be looked upon as a good cop. And that's what society tells you do. So, like, yeah, well, I'm implicit in this and I feel all that. Sure. I mean, uh, there's a, a bit of uh, like truth reparations and reconciliation to everything that I do, but ultimately it's not that I don't accept responsibility, but ultimately society has to accept responsibility that I did exactly what you wanted me to do. Yeah. Yeah. I've often felt that I've said on the podcast quite a few times and I've said it to people in, in usually in face to face manners also that people will tell me, you know, anytime something happens with a police officer, well, there's just a few bad apples to which I will say that, um, there are no good police because the institution of policing is fundamentally flawed. And because of that, there just, there just aren't, I, I know police officers one-on-one, they're fine. They're fine people. I don't have any problem with them, but the institution of the actual institution of policing is flawed. I've always felt that that's kind of, a, I don't want to say always as growing on in what I've seen, I really kind of got into really investigating policing around the time of Ferguson. You kind I mean, look, I'm a black man who grew up in the South, so I know what it is about um, being ticketed for no reason, uh, people coming at you for no reason, just shuffling you along. Uh, three of you are standing on the street corner here. Come the cops. You know, I've, I grew up with all that. But it was, I never had a, had a reason to look into the why all of that was happening. You know what? Was yeah, and I don't think police do. Yeah, why this <laughs> is happening? Nobody does that. Nobody says why, why are we doing this? And really, like, I'm considered some kind of radical revolutionary because I went, wait, 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 why are we doing this? Right, and that's how I felt when it Ferguson happened. I said, you know, when the people of a, of a whole town rises up in anger, why would they do that? Well, probably because the municipality has used them as a revenue source. <laughs> that would probably be why. And the police officers are the collection agents of the of the of that revenue. Get these people get to give them tickets, give them tickets, make these money. I noticed that you had said on your website about the um, the quota. And I don't want to call it a quota system, but having to give out a certain number of citations. Did I did I see that correctly? So this is when you kind of get into how the systems work and how employees are incentivized to do things. So when you say a rotten apple or somebody says a rotten apple, that that concept is completely flawed. It's a rotten barrel. It doesn't matter what apples go into it. You can put shiny apples, you can put rotten apples. It doesn't matter. The barrel is going to corrupt them. Uh, And whether they're aware of their own corruption or not, that's that's a big step of it is that they're not aware of what's taking place. So my, my PhD and my master's work went into management to try and figure out how these systems work. And so here's how it goes bad. Um, 
you end up with a de facto quota by doing things like where I was the sergeant of a unit and the way that any good supervisor protects their people from the bosses is by giving the bosses what they want. And what do the bosses want? The bosses want the things that they measure. And what do they measure? Well, police get measured by arrest, citation, parking tickets. These things are the things that are used to measure what is work. So you get the most work done and most accomplished work, then the bosses lay off of you and you're able to treat your people with the kind of respect and dignity and do the things that you need to do as a supervisor to treat your employees like human beings that they are. So you end up with elevating the standards. And so you have some kind of rating like below average, average, and excellent. So if you're in my unit and I'm pressuring you to get more rest so that we can stay safe with one another, then what ends up happening is I say... Okay, so average of my unit, that's an average officer. So if all of my officers are averaging 10 arrests, then that becomes an average. And so the officer that gets nine arrests or seven arrests, I say, hey, you're being below standard here. You need to get this stuff up to your at least average. So then when you press everybody to be average or above average, you set in this cycle where there's this competition for statistics. And what is a competition for statistics? It's a competition for putting as many men in jail or women in jail, people in jail, as you possibly can, whether that's actually legit or not, or whether it improves the community or not. Those things are not measured. What is measured is these statistics. And so you end up naturally uh, elevating a quota system through just normal management procedures of trying to encourage your people to do better or to stand out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. I mean, you see, uh, we. I, I don't want to say we all kind of know that that's the thing. I don't. You know what? I don't think we do know that. I think some of us do know it. You see it. You see it happening in front of you. But if you mention that, as you would say, you mention that, and you just say it out loud, and people are like, "Nope, that's not happening." Like, well, I know what I see. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, and it's not even that. It's not even like you have to know. Like this is predictable. Yeah. Like, this is what would happen with absolutely any employee. So I like to draw out a lot of these analogies all the time, you know, that say you go to your your job every day. You walk into your job, your boss tells you, hey, sit in the blue chair, but then HR tells you that every time you sit in the red chair, you'll get paid an extra $100 in your paycheck. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to sit in the red chair every single time. (laughs) Every single time. You're not going to care. Right? So it doesn't matter what it's said. And And I'll knock somebody out of the way to get to that chair. (laughs) Right. I'll knock you upside the head to get get myself to that chair because that's 100 bucks I'm trying to get. (laughs) You know. Right. So, I mean, you're trying to get your kids to survive. So cops are, one of the things they do, I I get into all of this that anybody wants to read into it, but when you were talking about regressive taxation, uh, the first pillar of American policing is the creation and maintenance of oppressed classes and then the extraction of resources from those oppressed classes in order to fund their own oppression. Mm -hmm. And the additional trick on that is that the cops actually come from the oppressed classes. Now, it's hard to accept when you see most of them being white and Irish because they're more privileged than you are, but they are still members of the oppressed well, classes Irish in America. Were the Irish were the oppressed class. They, they were considered black, yeah. Yeah, and that's how and, they, and, yeah, and then, and then whiteness engulfed them, and then they turned around and used their newfound authority over who do they use it over? We got it again in the end, huh? <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing is, so you figure out who's the least in your class, and that's the person that gets the most. So these things are factors. So if you are a trans, um, Muslim, black female, right, you're screwed. 
Yeah. Say you have all the hurdles in front of you. Yeah. And, and a male will have one less hurdle in front of them. Right. But those how the classes are done. So they'll pull the cops from all these classes. And then what you do is you give them a decent paycheck. You make it so that the laws don't really ascribe to them. And then they have enough where they're personally happy executing that oppression and controlling those classes because they're, they're, you're incentivized. Right. When when Freddie Gray happened, not not what happened to Freddie Gray, but the resulting firestorm that happened after that, were you were you in any way surprised that that happened? That firestorm. That I happened? continue to be surprised that it doesn't happen daily, every day. Yeah. Um, that's how yeah, I feel. I mean, I'm like I don't know why this isn't happening all the time. <laughs> I don't know why. And one of my first realizations, yeah, that was was with Tamir. I mean, I always talk about Tamir's killing being my emotional breaking point. And that's when it's just like, wait, I mean, the idea of even Timothy Willing killing Tamir in that, in that neighborhood is like some, like, just, just to use demographics in our social constructs, it would be like a Muslim in a hijab black guy from California in Baltimore or in my neighborhood killing my white daughter on a playground. Like, what do you think I would do in my, my neighborhood would do right. back then? Right. Like in suburbia America. Like, I know I personally, would have had that um, that officer who pulled that trigger. Um, I, I'm not sure if I would have killed him first or just made that sure I killed everybody that he ever cared about so he would suffer longer. I'm not sure which right. one I would do. Right. But, but, but it certainly wouldn't be sit at home and cry about it. Right, and I watched, I watched the head of their, of their officer's union, I watched the head of their union go on television not even a day after this boy was dead, and say that well, he looked like an adult. Uh, he was twelve, you know. And you, uh, how? Would they, this is why I say, like, the institution of policing is flawed. The fact that they would allow that man to go on the air and say that, which tells me that they believe that that they have to. They do believe it, but believe that, that that gets into a lot more. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But that's like, that's more. There's way more <laughs> layers to that. But just the fact that 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 was a serious consideration, and and it's a that's a that's a serious statement that he made. That wasn't no bullshit statement. No, no, he's, 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 a, he's a grown man. Like, he's a child playing. And you jumped out of a car, and in two seconds you shot him dead. And the community didn't burn the burn it down. <laughs> you know what I mean? We didn't, didn't burn it down. At some point, the fire's going to start. And it just, in Baltimore's case, it started after Freddie Gray, but I think it would have been something else. If it hadn't been Freddie Gray, I know you told some horror stories about what officers have done uh, going into places and raiding places and just the horrific manner that they do these things. Is there no oversight at all on these on-site officers who are doing these horrible actions in people's houses? I mean, I don't even know what you mean by oversight. Like, who do you think's watching? Yeah, that's what that's what I would. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's why I'm asking you because I kind of I kind of think that way. I just want to hear you say it. <laughs> like, there's no one watching them. <laughs> the people that are watching them are doing it with them. Well, I mean, yeah, but it's all the same people. We so we we do this as a society all the time where we're like we look to the FBI or the Department of Justice. We're like, oh, the Department of Justice is going to come in here and fix it. It's like. Look, those are the same people, dude. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, they did. Their, they none did of that shit ever makes any sense. They did their reports, yeah, on, and they're going to do the same thing. They're never going to get any cops. They're never going to nail anybody. It's all going to be pointless. Nothing's ever going to change when you go within the system. I mean, I, I don't know how to get that through to anybody. Right. 
Right. I well, they don't want this. The system is is as you had said, and I've said, and many others have said, the system's operating exactly how it's designed to operate. So it's not. It can't be changed. It's self-sustaining at this point. It's just chugging right along. I saw that what you felt like what kind of started you down the road of activism was Keith Romans, who was a story I did. It was. Am I correct on that? That that kind of started you. Well, well, yeah, because what I ended up seeing was. If you could the, tell that story, like, a little I bit mean, of course, for our listeners. Sure. So what what you end up doing is you you end up seeing the the atrocities in your own tribe first, right? You know, because that's what is right in front of you. So that, that was one of my starting to realize how much of pawns police officers were. When we generally just think of like, oh, a cop did that. Like, no, the cop and those actions are an end result of something. Um, a lot of things had to go in place to do that. Can you speak on and what happened to Right. So Keith Romans is one of these officers. He was... They tell all these guys coming in, like, you've got to go after these bad guys with guns. It was this torn time during Frederick Beefield where he absolutely knew nothing about a crime plan or, or any kind of planning at all. His slogan and his operations were literally just go after bad guys with guns. And they put out these units where they would get in these cars, unmarked cars, and they would pull cars over all day long, and they would just do everything they could to get guns. And this one guy, Keith, who was a former Marine, he, would only, he was only in the department for about a year and a half. And he was doing all these things that the commissioner and the supposedly city leaders were telling officers to do. And he was getting these special units and going after bad guys with guns, so to say. And they had a car stop where guys got out of the car with guns and they got into a gun battle. And Keith's partner ended up getting shot. He ended up saving his life. Keith was shot in the thing and was like drenched with blood like in a Hollywood thing where he's bleeding and actively in a shootout on uh, a major thoroughfare with these, these guys in a car, like fighting off like in some of this, this, this like hero scene of saving everybody mm-hmm. from that shootout, the, the other officers and the citizens. And the only people that ended up truly getting hurt were, were the suspects in that. And the department's response to that was the same policy that got me kicked out, which was this medical thing where if you don't get back onto the streets in time, then you are kicked out of the agency. What's and the, you have one year word, to do that. One year. One year. And Based so on any injury, Keith, it doesn't matter what the injury is, you got one year to heal back from it. It doesn't matter. And so what Keith had done um, with a year and a half, one, new rookie officers, they don't have any pay. Uh, he was going to be years and years out of work if he could ever come back uh, after sustaining gunshots all over him. And he, he the, the rule is you get 66% of your salary and uh, the medical benefits and stuff that all end up adding up. You end up having to pay medical because you don't get a retired officer's thing, but they push you out. So then come to find out after it's all done, his re- they kick him out of the police department and his reward is less than a social security check. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And, and he's permanently disabled. Uh, and was doing exactly what the police department asked him to do. And it was like that point on, I was a sergeant then, and I was like, I cannot morally ask any of my officers that have less than five years on to risk themselves. I can't do it. Because look what happened to him. And and then, like, so that reveals 
Like, I mean, what, what is this thing all about? Like, who's actually in charge of this? Who is being served? Because the citizens of Baltimore, as much as they want, don't like police uh, and the policing that takes place there, there's not a – you could vote. The citizens – all of Baltimore could vote, and they would all want to support it. Yeah, I mean, so this this, this system isn't protecting. Yeah, here's the thing: right, so this where was, system where was the, is not serving the people. Where was the union at? Where was is, did the union agree to these type of things in the case of? But, of no, they're still fighting that law. So they're still fighting no, that law. Still being fought. Yeah, right. But in, in the meantime, this man is making no money monthly, living hand to mouth. As, right, I mean, he's in strict poverty. Right, and as the union is working for him, they're not doing anything for him. And this is a man who who had almost given up his life in service of the state, basically. And now the state is like, yeah, and he ends you, up buddy. getting, and he ends up getting arrested later in kind of one of these typical. I don't want to say typical, but uh, it's it's the pathway of, of human things once you've been marginalized and treated this way by by the system, where he ends up being part of a motorcycle gang, getting arrested and getting in trouble and things like that, because that's the path that it sends you on, just yeah. like the path that it sends you know some kid in the city on. Yeah, why wouldn't it? Yeah, why why wouldn't he go down that route? He tried to go good, and look what happened. What happened to you? You got medical. You medically went out also. Yeah, so I had an injury of just needing to keep getting my shoulder repaired. I had like that. I'm like going to those stupid. No, Gibson stories. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the shoulder. Weapon, you know? yeah. Like my shoulder, it just keeps coming out. Like uh, no matter what, I had a couple of surgeries, and I needed another surgery. Couldn't do it again, and it was going to take like three or four years before I ever had a chance of coming back. And that's it. They go, you're out. Okay. And uh, you know, I was you... well blackballed by then, so I took it and was happy. <laughs> yeah. When did you had you had already had you had already kind of started into the activism route as far as the police, and they were like, "Good, we need you out here anyway." Or were you yeah, 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 totally. to so become I been, more vocal? It, it, Internally, so that's always a joke when people are like, so what do the police officers from Baltimore think? They were around me for 11 years, man. Yeah. They're not surprised one bit. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> you, were, you were very vocal already, on the, at least on the force and with them. You weren't kind of keeping it to yourself. You were already vocal at that point anyway. You were already yeah, woke, I mean, they, they were as the kids say. You were already woke. God, no. Please don't say I was woke. <laughs> I was, I, I was uh, awakening. I was opening my eyes. But uh, woke, for the record, for everyone, if you even want to buy the concept of woke, it is a goal which is unattainable. Exactly. Um, if you ever think you have attained it, you don't know the concept of it exactly. at all. It's like the first law of thermodynamics is if you think you understand thermodynamics, then you don't understand that. Yeah, I was Telling, I was telling a young cat, I said, you know what being woke really means? That means you question everything in your purview and everything around you. Are you doing that? <laughs> Are you questioning your God? Because that's a scary thing to do. <laughs> questioning everything around you. It's a scary thing to do. <laughs> so you, would, uh, you, were already being, you were already pretty vocal. How was that going for you as far as being vocal about policing while you were on the police force? Well, even in general now. Like, most cops don't really disagree with me. The argument is, is like, yeah, well, great, that's not the system. I can't fucking do anything about it. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so this thing of you can change the system from the inside, do you think that that's a possibility that police officers can change the system? Hey, we'll just be some good cops and we can change things from the inside. Do you believe in that? That is absolute nonsense. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. It's never happened. Why would anybody have an idea that something that's never happened in the history of the world could right. happen? Right. 
Right. I, it's, 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 yeah, it's uh, people say that shit, and I'm like, get out of here, man. <laughs> yeah, Chelsea Manning is going to fix our drone program. Yeah, how? Yeah, does that make any sense? <laughs> you can't. What took you to uh, to Standing Rock? Was did you feel like I got was, duped in the Standing Rocks? But <laughs> I would say again, <laughs> so, I got duped in the Standing Rock. Essentially, <laughs> um, it wasn't my idea. I ended up having to be in charge of everything and bearing all the responsibility for the uh, veteran movement up there. How did that happen? The, the motivation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was a veteran, and uh, there was another veteran's idea, and somehow I ended up just being the one. But you had a stuck with you had a name at that point. Typical. Did that help having a name? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, are you are you still totally. involved with Sandy Rock? With the with the people, no. Um, we've everything's gone. All the money that we raised has all been distributed out. Okay, and good. Everything's done now and kind of wrapped up. Okay. Uh, so so all of that is kind of in the past now. I can't focus on that. But the main reason I I went into it and, and agreed to be a part of it was uh, that's the it was the ultimate expression of the three things that I say American police and on. So my entire scholarship was about figuring out why police were this way so that we could undo it. And the, the main reason is that, is that they do the three things, like I said all the time, the creation of maintenance of slave class and then the extraction of resources from that. The second thing they do is they value priority. Uh, wealthy property of the elite is prioritized over the lives of the oppressed classes. So mm-hmm. the CVS is more important than Freddie Gray's life, um, mm-hmm. which we see demonstrated constantly. And then the third thing is the continued genocide of the Native American people. And so the Standing Rock violence, police violence, state sanctioned violence up there was the conceptualization of all three of those things occurring at the same time, which you're not one time, usually yeah. going to see so obviously. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Were you able to, do you feel like uh, the veterans group was able to make an active difference up there, at least even in just being a, being there, being a part of it? Well, I mean, it was a whole complicated thing. And from my aspect, it's just a logistical nightmare. And I don't get to see like kind of the benefits of it as a whole, but mm-hmm. we have to remember that it was the only successful it has been the only successful political action in the last decade. Um, yeah. We did get oh, the, the mass show of force did get Obama to kick it down the curb for a while. So we, we did get our temporary victory that ended up uh, obviously being overturned. Yeah. But, you know, it, it did achieve its goal at the time, which was to delay it and move it into other tactics as, as was advised. So a big problem in this country it, is it that was, it is, a big problem in this country is that administrations change every four years. If you're if you're if you're lucky, it's every eight years. If you're unlucky, every four years. So Obama well, pushes it for I would a while. Say the point, here they come. Here comes something else, or here comes another group. And well, I would say the problem is is thinking that any of those faces in those different administrations are anything different than what is always. Different. That, that's another. That's yet another one. <laughs> that's yet that's yet another <laughs> one. Although the shit we're dealing with right now is insanity. Uh, I mean, I still don't think it's different. I, I, I think, really? uh, I know I get a lot, I get a lot of, I get a lot of gripes for it, okay. but I think that, um, what is being done now is, um, a, a ruleless, um, authentic, straight in your face version of what's been happening the of, entire of time. The and people version. are just pissed because they don't want to see it. That, that I can, that I can see, although I think the wild card of, of, of the Trump just because he's completely, he's just, th- and thank God he's completely incompetent because if he was a little bit competent, it, we'd be seriously in trouble. That's why I don't want to get rid of him. I'd rather yeah. not have the competent fucking asshole in charge. Yeah, he's he's fucking <laughs> incompetent. He is incompetent. A slight, uh, slight switch gears. 
Did you hear the stories, the last stories coming out about out, out of Baltimore about all uh, the police officers getting caught on the on their own cameras, uh, planting course, evidence yeah. and and. Oh come on, man! Nothing happens in Baltimore without getting ten phone calls. <laughs> right, right. So here's the thing: How long has that been happening? That that they've been pl- just planting shit on people pulling them in and sending them to jail. Now, look, I know the answer to this, but just for the listeners, <laughs> how long has that been happening? I mean, so here's what I want everybody to, to kind of understand. If you look at what you see now due to a few body cam eras, I mean, the vast majority of body cam thing, officers are going to successfully manipulate to their advantage, not not screw up like those few screw-ups were. Mm-hmm. But if you see uh, this... this uh, execution of state violence, whether it is Michael Slager uh, killing Walter Scott, or it, it you know, because that, that was a cell phone hidden in the corner in the woods that caught that killing, or whether it's seeing these drugs planted. All of these things have occurred at dramatically higher rates than right. every year going past. This is the time of the least police violence. If you think that this is bad... <laughs> you need to read some history books. Right, right. And that's the thing. You know what? That's the thing that disturbs the black community who these things are happening to. And in my case, I can only speak to the black community, but it's happening to the Latino community, communities of color, is that... Any oppressed class. And not, the, even just a, and not even just a community of color. If you're poor, white, and some, you know, Yeah, you definitely, you definitely get it too. Um, it's not as bad. Yeah, I would argue that it's not as bad, but you're definitely getting it. It's you're not poor. as bad, but it's still sucks. Yeah, because <laughs> you're poor, you know. But at least you may have somebody advocate for you. Uh, you black, you got nobody advocating for you. You Mexican, you got nobody. Advocating. The point being that we've been saying this for years, <laughs> and even in the face of the evidence of it, you still the the automatic knee jerk reaction out of people is to defend the police out of society is to defend the police that the defense of the police yes. and the elevation of the police is so ingrained into the american society that i don't see how it can it can be changed i don't see why because you can't change. you can't blame the police without blaming yourself right Right. Yeah, you're That's exactly why right. people don't want to do it. Yeah, you're exactly right, because right. They, so they allow the police. It's a distancing. Yeah. Right. I mean, I don't ever want to shit on people for for being oppressed and not acting and not acting out and doing something about it. Like, that's the whole goal of oppression is to make sure that you don't have the resources to be able to do anything about it. Right. I right. get that. But, but, but as a whole, ultimately, we I don't think we face this issue very well. Because then we have to do something about it, and recognizing it is going to be extremely painful when we realize how much we are accountable for everything that's happened. Do you see a? Do you see a? Uh, again, it's an, an answer to a question I know the answer to, but do you see an, any type of a positive outcome moving forward? Well, I always think it's inevitable. Um, do you? Okay. The, the, the yeah, the idea. <laughs> that like I don't. the world is going. <laughs> that's cool. But th- the idea of the world like descending into chaos is a, is is something that has been told 
yeah. since since there were Neanderthals around. Yeah. And I it will be continued to be told. <laughs> I don't think we'll descend I don't think we'll descend into chaos. I think we'll just stay along these lines of status quo because people don't want these lines to change. I think there'll be cosmetic sure, but changes the history, here and there, but I don't think there'll any be any be grand changing of of the entire history of humanity in other words. We are a creature that has succeeded and evolved only because of ridiculous levels of cooperation and nonviolence. That that pathway and evolution has continued and will continue uh, as far as as we go about. I mean, that is actually the the entire premise of the evolutionary process. So you do have a positivity to you, see? <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think it's inevitable. I'm pissed because what we are, because of it being inevitable, that's fine. What that means is that we're just like, ah, fuck it, people will be good, and it doesn't matter. We'll just let 50 Tamir Rices die, when yeah. if we would get off our fucking couches, we could make it so it was only 25. And I know 25 is tragic, but 25 ain't fucking 50. Yeah, 25 is less than 50, and maybe, then, and maybe after that 25, we can get it down to two. Yeah, and I'll fucking glide and hustle and... and, and dig my shit into the dirt if it, if it will get it down to 25. So I don't need perfect, but we need to do something. Yeah, even with, even with not, I, like I said, I don't, I believe that they'll do cosmetic stuff and then the status quo will stay. I'm still going to grind. I have no problem with the grinding. The, if you grind, what's the point? You got to grind. You know, I just, I want things to be better. <laughs> I want things. I, I want things. Evolutionary well, should be getting better. I got, a, I got a daughter myself that I got to send out into this world. You know, but <laughs> so. when we care, we see these things more, right. and we right. don't see the right. victories. Right? Right. right. So, like when you really care about it, it seems like that spiral. But if you step back and look at like the objective data, uh, there, there's no way around it. Like everything is getting safer. Um, we have it's the most peaceful time in human in human history, and I, I know we have all these these issues. It's just that we were ignorant to how bad it was before. I mean, ignorance was bliss. That's all. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with you on that. Let's do a little bit of you before we wrap this up. What uh, what kind of? Because I know every time I see you, you're talking serious stuff. What's what's the thing, man? What kind of pushes you along? You know, movies, music, uh, spend time with your family. What pushes what pushes Michael along? Other than other than just sitting around and studying for your PhD, uh, it's almost over. I'm in my last classes now. I'm about okay. done. I'm so so tired of that. I don't want to like. I want to spend like at least a couple months not learning anything. Okay, who's your um, music? Who are you listening to? So music wise, I guess if you want to go with the newest one. It's just recently, maybe about a year ago. I used to like Kid Cudi a lot, and I was okay. like, he came out with that one album that was dog. It was just trash. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm so upset about this album that like I don't even know what I'm going to do with myself right now. <laughs> and, my, and my buddy was like, oh, if you like Cudi, check, check out Aesop Rock. Okay. And so I started checking out Aesop Rock, and I was like, I don't know, I really, really like this. So as like something new, I would go with Aesop Rock, but I'm definitely a 90s uh, white dude, Nine Inch Nails, Corn, uh, Rage Against the Machine, like Metallica, right. Pantera, that's what you're going to hear me uh, right. generally listen to. Yeah. And what drives me... Um, well, if you're looking for some hip-hop, you better I, I don't know. Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick. I, 
I am not a fan of Kendrick Lamar. All right, all right. That's so in this, so in this call. It was good talking to you, baby. <laughs> you're not a fan. Of, you're not a fan of Kendrick. Um, his so, music is so layered and complex for an intellectual guy. A guy working on his PhD. I mean, that'd be right up your alley. Oh, oh. Uh, I oh. think the media has told us that somebody's oh, oh, music oh, and stop. lyrics are layered. I know what I hear. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> this is like my Eminem beef, where I'm like. I, I say, when people, when they say Eminem's so great, He's I'm okay. like, okay, please, I, I, I'm just saying, I'll say the same thing about Kendrick Lamar. Please go get me his four lines in a row that are so, his best work, that are so impressive. And I will go find some rapper that nobody knows about, whether, and you'll find a four-line stanza that blows it away. Okay, you're 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 now losing you're now losing the fan base that, that you had just cultivated <laughs> in forty five minutes of work. You just cultivated a serious Man, fan base. No, here's what I'm trying to tell you: whether it's LeBron James or it's Colin Kaepernick or it's Kendrick Lamar, what the corporate system allows you to hear and think is revolution is guaranteed to not be. I mean, I'm a, a dude. I'm a fan of all three of them. That's my position. That's my position. I'm a fan it, of all three. You're talking. It's, it's like it's like when they called Nirvana alternative. No, it's like, yo, yeah. this is not alternative music. What are you talking about? This is the biggest band in the goddamn country. They weren't alternative. They were. They were. <laughs> you know, doing something different, but they weren't alternative. But they were the right, biggest. They were the saying. biggest band at the time. Yeah, come on. What did you? What do you think of what's going on with the NFL? Are you watching? Are you saw you. You an NFL head? Oh no, I'm a, I'm a banner. Uh, I, banned, I wrote an article, so if anybody wants to look up the article that I wrote on this, um, I give a long history of why it is the slave uh, system reignited, why it is just like with the, the whole veteran and faux patriotism thing that they do. I lay this all out, so I, I, I greatly encourage anybody to read this, and I don't think that any more that? human... It's my Medium page is the easiest way to find it. Okay, Michael A. Wood, Medium? Yeah, medium Michael A. Wood Jr. Okay. Um, it's called. So I, I did two versions. I did an A and B test with this article, which was interesting. It's a. It's a one time. I titled it. Uh, the NFL is not racist or, or is, is not unpatriotic or racist. And the other one is United States and Marine Corps veterans call for for an NFL ban. So, <laughs> I wanted to see how they they flowed. <laughs> so you had already gotten. Had you already gotten out before Kaepernick or? Or just kind of the cap. I got a police department in January. No, 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 no. Had you already gotten out of the NFL before Kaepernick, or had you already? Yeah, I didn't watch it last year oh, either, but not out. for any like discernible. I was just too busy. Okay, I, it okay. was like I, I was caring about the fight and the idea of watching, uh, you know, people dance on cars. Just you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, can I had that. time to do on my Sundays, <laughs> and. Uh, but then it became a moral decision when I got into the history of it and why it is what it is, how the yeah. structuring works. Like, you know that when, like, let's just take Reggie Bush because he was a big player in college. Uh, those jerseys, his actual namesake right. on that jersey that you, that, uh, of the, uh, where did he go to college? USC jersey USC. that says Reggie Bush on it, he does not even own his name nope. on those USC items. Nope. That is perpetual servitude. Yeah. Like he gets no money, what? <laughs> and they only sell because his name is on them, and he gets no money. Right? I mean, yeah. like, that's are a whole, you crazy? That's a whole nother discussion. That's a whole nother discussion. <laughs> yeah, so understand, if you buy a figurine with with Marshall Falk or something in his college uniform, like, he doesn't get a penny for that. Nope. 
No. Craziness. <laughs> no. And it's and it's been so, like that. And they'll tell you to be thankful that that you got your opportunity. Right? Be, be thankful that you got your knees blown out and your head bashed in. Yeah. So think about the guy that does that. You know, the one that blows out their knee and never actually makes it through the pros, but was good in college. And then they're getting their image and their likeness sold into a video game for something they never, ever in their entire lives yeah. got rewarded for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's unbelievable. So I'm definitely out of the NFL. Um, I think what Kaepernick is doing was uh, people could check out my tweets that said, yeah, this is great. This just going to get co-opted by a bunch of other people and become another woman's march or some other bullshit thing that totally misses the entire point and just becomes, oh, it's against anti-Trump. Every bit of activism and movement becomes anti-Trump. It's the resistance for this. And I think all of that is fucking nonsense that misses the entire purpose of everything. I think that's the friendly face on fascism that was the Obama era. That makes us all want to sit back complacently like that one protester had a sign that said if Hillary would have won, we all would have been on our damn couches. And that's exactly the fucking problem because nothing would have actually changed. Yeah, I feel like uh, I wrote a piece saying that uh, Kaepernick's, uh, Kaepernick's protest has now been effectively gentrified. That's all it has been. It's been effectively gentrified and it's been turned into something else. I just watched Roger Goodell just a couple days ago stand up and say, well, we're going to interact with the community. This has nothing to do with the community. This says directly, the protest is directly about the police, the way the police interacts with the community. So if you want to talk to anybody, go talk to the police. Don't talk to the community. But they have to say, well, it's, we're going to go talk to the community. And tell the community what? <laughs> tell them what? Um, don't wear hoodies. I don't know what they're gonna, what the NFL's gonna tell them. <laughs> don't don't wear hoodies. I guess that's all I can think. Yeah, and I don't want to. I, I agree with you. I don't want to shit on things all the time, but it's like we don't have direction right now. There's a, there's this inherent thing that there's a a dismissal of leadership. Like there doesn't want to be any leadership in this movement, and and, and it's, it's it's literally killing it. Um, it's going nowhere. Nothing has been achieved. I mean, think about this. From the moment Trayvon Martin was killed. I'm telling you right now, nothing has progressed to protect black lives. The only thing that has happened is laws that have continued to make it worse. And this was the entire time, whether it was Obama or whether it, it was Trump. Right. 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 It's a, well, it's a societal thing. It's like we said earlier on in the call that the police are, are acting in the manner that they're designed to act. And we don't, we're never going to address that. Hopefully we will. But we, no one, we will. We have to. That's our step. We have to address these systems in the yeah, 60s. No one's looking at the try to reset our cultures. We, we, but we didn't reset any systems. Right. right. None. Right. Right. And it's the system. So the system is we see it more because of the everybody has a camera in their pocket. That's about it. You know, as you say, we got to reset. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. This has been a great talk. Man. Yeah. And the question. Oh, thanks. No, 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 one go thing ahead, I want to leave everybody with. Go ahead, one go thing ahead. I want to leave everybody with is this thing. Whenever we have these discussions, what the important thing about me is, is that I can tell you how to get that thing done. Mm -hmm. But never say, Mike Wood, how should we be policed? Because that is the entire problem. Right. You are never to choose who polices you. You are to determine how I effectively police you. These are your rules, not mine. So when you say, what should we do? Yeah, what should we do? Because you need to have a system where you get to tell the police 
what they will do. Right, right, right. And until yeah, I agree with that. Uh, the system is. Now, I'm free to tell person. you how to get it done. Right. But you are in control of this. This is your thing. Do not look to me to be a leader of your police department. You are the leader of your police department. I will serve you. Right. Right. If we had more that believed, we had more the uh, more police officers that believed in the same manner as you believe. Then... I think they do. I think a lot of do. And if you put the structure in place, you're going to see that. I can only hope, man. I really, I really can only hope. So that we can, we can put a good barrel. We can put bad yeah. apples into a good barrel and fix yeah. them. Look, yeah. I was perfect. Look, seriously, I was perfect. I did everything I had to do. I got 4.0 GPAs. I paid for my own college. I rose through everything that you told me to do. I never used excessive force a moment in my life. I did not have a racist thought in my brain. But everything that I did was pure evil execution of white supremacy and colonialism. That's what I did as a good apple. You can do the same thing to a bad apple. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Man, I hope. And we got to get on it. You can. I promise you. It's not hard. <laughs> Who gives a fuck what they think yeah. when you control what they do? Right. 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 Man, I appreciate talking to you today. <laughs> I appreciate talking to you today. <laughs> All right, brother. you be think? safe? Yeah. Keep that East Coast safe for me. Man. Make sure it doesn't get too hot in Keep summer West... and too cold in the winter. Keep that West because Coast. Because L.A. Keep... shit is hella better. I uh, know. I'm sure it is. You want to give the people your social media and stuff and let them know who you are? Um, all right. So if you want to continue to like me, please just like go to my website, which is michaelawoodjr.net, or to civilian-led policing, which is my model for that. That's civilianledpolicing.org. That's the model of how to put in the framework to enable you to be in charge of your police department. If you like me being brash and you want to be pissed off at me from time to time, then follow me on Twitter. There <laughs> you go. I do. At <laughs> <laughs> I do. I and I'm guaranteed to piss you off at least once. <laughs> I do. I follow you. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for and it, man. How many times have I pissed you off? <laughs> Not me, but I'm, he I'm here for watching people get mad at you and watching you talk with them. <laughs> I'm, here for, I'm here for that. <laughs> Thanks so much, man, for talking to me today. I really appreciate you, brother. I appreciate you a lot. And hopefully I'd like to be in touch with you again at some other time. And we have something else to talk about. I'm sure whenever, I'm whenever sure brother. Especially get some there. questions. Yeah, I'm sure something yeah, else. Get some questions. Right. I'll answer anything. Fantastic. I'll All definitely right, I'll definitely open it up and I'll have people send me some questions for you. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate you, man. I can. Take care. Be safe. Peace.